welcome into Footnotes on this Monday edition of the show. Dawson Iserlo filling in once again for Kevin Foote as he is working his way back from Coral Gables, where he covered the Coral Gables Regional over the past three days. Um, for the Cajuns, it didn't go quite as they would have liked. A 1-2 and two record in that regional, beating Maine in the elimination game that they played on Saturday, but dropping their first contest to Texas and their last one to Miami, the host team, uh, on their way to a third-place finish in that regional. We're going to talk to Kevin Foote, of course, uh, on this edition of the show. That'll be in the next segment, and we'll get his recap uh, from Coral Gables, kind of how that regional went, what he thought of their the Cajuns' performance, which overall I think we can all agree, like, they played pretty well. Um, they played pretty well in the first game against Texas. They lost to a team that, you know, for all intents and purposes, a little bit better than they are, a little bit further along. Um, right now with what David Pierce has with that Longhorn program. Um, but like even even in what they did, they had to face an ace in Lucas Gordon, who's a first-team All-American, and they were right there. Uh, Three-run homer that was robbed that John Taylor would have had that, you know, you end up looking at the back end of the scoreboard and they lose the game by two runs. So it's always a situation to kind of sit there and wonder what if. But uh, Texas was a little bit better than they were, and that's kind of how that game went. You came back and played Maine pretty tough, dominated them in some aspects, let them score some runs late that maybe you shouldn't have, but you know, won the game comfortably by nine runs with a 19-10 to 10 final score, and then came against Miami and, and battled, battled the whole way. Um, tried to get back in it a couple of different times. You just couldn't ever get over the hump, and Miami hit a couple of big homers that kind of put it away at the very end, and they also, look, you faced, so not only did you face Texas's ace on Friday night uh, or Friday afternoon, you then faced Miami's shutdown closer for three innings, and you actually got a run off of him. Caleb Stelly out of nowhere hits a solo shot. Um, and you battled, had two runners on, had the tying run at the plate um, in an 8-5 to five game in the ninth inning, but just didn't quite pull it out. So I think all things considered, um, a pretty good weekend, and we'll get Kevin Foote's recap of that coming up. Um, we're also going to talk with Matt Miguez coming up at 9.30 about the Coral Gables Regional, but not only that, but the Baton Rouge Regional, um, which we have been keeping a close eye on both of those, of course, and some other regional action across the country. I mean, just an incredible weekend, and I'll get to some of that here in the show today. Um, I thought it was as entertaining as ever. There were certainly some some top seeds that flexed their muscles um, and, and won their regionals without too, too much stress. LSU will have an opportunity to do that today again. Um, some of these regionals have wrapped up already, the ones that were on schedule time-wise for the most part during the weekend. Um, and then others had Game 7 force, which was already going to be scheduled for today. And then in a couple instances, like Fayetteville and Baton Rouge, the weather kind of moved things around, and now we still have potentially two games, but for those teams that are in the driver's seat, LSU and TCU. In this case, they're hoping to just have the one game today. So we'll talk to our guy, Matt Miguez, the host of Crunch Time, um, and get his opinions on some of that. And then we're going to talk to Zach Nagy in the 10 o'clock hour at 1030, uh, roughly, to talk more about that Baton Rouge Regional, kind of get his perspective. He's been over there um, at the box covering that regional throughout the weekend, and he is um, LSU reporter for Rivals. So we're going to talk with Zach and get some perspectives from the different regionals that are, uh, you know, of, of more importance here locally. And then, of course, some of the national stuff as well, because I thought there was a lot. And I took some notes throughout the weekend, starting with Friday. This was, uh, like I mentioned in RP3 Company, a weekend that you would like to have some extra TV screens available to you. Because um, there was so much going on, um, not only just college baseball, but, you know, the NBA Finals, which we'll talk about here today. Had Game 2, which took place last night. Fortunately for me, the way it kind of lined up, I was able to watch most of that game. Um, I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to just with everything else going on, but it did kind of line up timing-wise. There were a few regionals still going on there at the end, but I was able to kind of multitask. And, again, squeeze play has been a big help to that. Kind of that red zone-style coverage I thought was fantastic all weekend, and it's a huge help 
uh, to someone like myself who's trying to keep tabs on so many different things at one time. So that's all coming up. We'll also mention the Astros, uh, and they had a good weekend overall. It was a sour ending to the weekend, but they overall played pretty well. That's actually where we're going to start. So all that here in store on a Monday edition of Footnotes um, with Kevin Foote still working his way back from Coral Gables uh, after what was, I'm sure, a long weekend for him. A um, couple of rain delays in there, but all things considered, not as bad as it could have been. Again, ironically, the weather in Baton Rouge ended up being a lot worse than the weather in Coral Gables, which is not what we were expecting heading into the weekend. Um, and even based on the forecast that we had, it, it looked like it was going to be really tough in Miami. And um, there were a couple delays, but wasn't all that bad. Um, but let's get things started with the Houston Astros. Um, they had, you know, a lot of momentum coming into this series with the Angels. It's always going to be interesting when you're facing division teams that are at least hanging around, right? Like, it's a little bit different when you play Oakland, a team that's not, you know, tremendously capable. Um, but playing the Angels um, and a team, we're still trying to figure out if this Angels team's going to contend this year. I think, uh, you know, I was more hopeful about that team than others were, and, you know, Kevin gives me a hard time about it, um, saying I pull for the little MVPs or whatever it is. I enjoy watching Mike Trout and Shohei play. I don't root for them specifically to win every game they play or anything like that. Um, but coming in, you figured the Astros, who had lost two or three to Minnesota, but overall had largely been playing great baseball coming in, um, how would they handle that? And look, they played really, really well. And it started back on Thursday uh, with a 5-2 to two win, which we talked about a little bit already on Friday. You got a great outing. Foot said he thought it was one of the best wins of the season uh, when the Astros won 5-2 to two on Thursday. So that was an interesting uh, kind of take that he had. And I, and I get some of his logic around it with the pitching performance he got and some of the clutch hits like Bregman's that, that was there in, that, in the late innings. Um, but then Friday, you followed it up, another win, 6-2. to two. And look, the pitching is what's really impressive to me, and, and I'm going to continue staying on that for you know as long as it continues to be this impressive. Because when you have as many injuries and guys in and out of the rotation as Houston has had, uh, Jose Arquiti, Luis Garcia, Lance McCullers, like that's three-fifths of your expected rotation coming into the season. That's 60% of it. And oh, by the way, that's not even including Justin Verlander, who was lost in free agency, right? So 80% essentially of your expected rotation from a year ago is either on different teams or not available to you. And how do they respond? Uh, oh, they just continue to throw out whoever they want and get good innings from literally anybody. And that includes Christian Javier, who, okay, not as much of a surprise. Javier has certainly shown, shown some big flashes of brilliance in the past. And, you know, we didn't expect uh, him to struggle that much. So I guess you can go on that one. Well, then past that, how about a guy like uh, Hunter Brown? A young guy who, look, plenty of potential, and I think the hopes were high, but I don't know if any of us thought he would be as good as he's been throughout the season early on here. He's just been that good. Um, the caveat in all this, by the way, is that the ace, Fran Brevaldez, has been healthy, and I think that's immensely important. The guy who sets the tone every fifth day, and you know what you're going to get. Um, and by the way, in that 6-2 to two win on Friday night, he went seven innings, five hits, no runs, struck out seven. Uh, more of the same for Framber. You also went with Mayton and Abreu, and I'm going to get back to Mayton and some of those guys in the bullpen as we go here. Um, that's been a little bit iffy of late, but still not any sort of major cause for concern. I think, look, Montero hasn't been good, and that's you know something that he was really good last year. So when he's not good, you start to sit there and go, how long is that going to be tolerated? How long is that going to be something that lingers in the back end? right? Um, and, and But as I've kind of continued to say, I think if you need to make a move at some point, you'll make a move. You know, uh, they've kind of shown you that with this front office. And that's, you know, look, it's not the same exact front office because they have changed that up significantly. Right. They ended up firing a general manager or moving on from a general manager after winning a World Series. But I think the overall organization has shown you 
they'll make a move if they need to make a move. Um, so that's something to worry about later. You know, getting into what happened on Saturday, which was the third game of the series. This was a four-game set, remember, that started back on Thursday. They went at 9-6, to six, but you might say you gave up six runs, but the starting pitching was good again. And it was Christian Javier going six innings, giving up six hits and one run. Now, Ryan Stanek gave up four earned runs in a third of an inning. He wasn't very good. He's been pretty dicey all year long. He and Montero are really the big ones that are kind of eyebrow-raising, so to speak. Um, but with all that being said, you overcome the shortcomings of the bullpen and find a way to win that game regardless, scoring enough runs to do so. And that's big, as Alex Bregman goes one for one with a grand slam and also walked four times. Uh, how about that stat line? That's not something you see every day. But Bregman starting to come along a little bit more, and that's something that we'll be interested to see. And then lastly, yesterday they lose the game, but if you're going to take positives out of it, which I think you certainly can in a weekend, you win three out of four. J.P. France, seven innings, three hits, one run. It was earned. He walked one, he struck out three, so he actually pitched to contact a little bit more. We've seen him, you know, he's not a huge strikeout guy, but we've seen him have a little bit more uh, of the strikeout in the past. But that's back to kind of getting to what you want to see from JP. He is not expected to be the ace of this staff or even a two or even a three. But giving you innings at the back end of that rotation um, when it's to that fourth or fifth day, when you have no Arkady and you have no McCullers, and who knows when McCullers is coming back. Like, there was certainly, I, and even when JP pitched well in the first two outings, you know, he's a guy that he's, he's a local guy, a guy who I, you know, have uh, some friends and family that know more so than I do, um, but always rooting for him. And then, but you still had the thought, well, this was a great start, but I don't know how long JP can keep this up, right? Well, he's kind of proven you wrong there. Like he, even his quote unquote bad outings haven't been that bad. He's still giving you length. And I think that's a, a big thing now. And, you know, today's day and age where so many starters don't give you length. Um, and he was outstanding again. Now you end up losing that one in the late innings. And um, that's something to kind of re- revisit with the bullpen, right? And, and that was what happened there. Now, it wasn't like they had a meltdown in this situation. They gave up one run. But offensively, you just didn't quite have your best day. Um, so in this instance, it's Maton again. Now, his ERA for the season is still 1.26 after two rough outings. So I think you're still fine there. Phil has been outstanding. And he's really, look, when that slider's working for Maton, it's a Frisbee and it's impossible to hit. And he's had it for most of the year. A couple of games where he didn't have his best stuff. But I think you're going to move on from that. Um, and you win three out of four. You put yourself in good position now. Texas won three in a row to, to you know on the weekend, Friday through Sunday. So you didn't gain a ton of ground in the division. But still maintaining pace with them and starting to really separate yourself from the other guys. And uh, the other guys being the Angels and the Mariners. We know the A's aren't going to be a factor at all. But keeping some distance between you and, and actually creating some new distance, I think that's something to keep an eye on. Um, the Angels are now five back of the Astros. The Mariners are six back and under 500 still. We kept waiting for that team to kind of turn it on, and I think, you know, there's still hope for them to do so. But 60 games into the season, roughly here, uh, Seattle has certainly underachieved for at least the expectations that we put on them, um, as well. I'm sure some of the expectations that they had for themselves coming off of what was such a special run last year, getting back to the playoffs and playing meaningful postseason baseball in Seattle. I think it was all. You know, whether you're obviously I was rooting for the Astros to win that series, but you can still sit there and, and kind of recognize how special it was to see Seattle baseball kind of thriving. Right. And see that that building um, be actually super energetic and into a playoff game because it's been a long time since that's been the case. Um, I think that can kind of be said whenever a team has a fresh, you know, entrance into the playoffs. We saw it in the, in the basketball playoffs this year with Sacramento. Right, whether you were rooting for Golden State or Sacramento, or didn't really have a strong opinion one way or the other, the way you know I was kind of in that series, man, was it cool to see Sacramento just just alive 
um, and, and rooting for playoff basketball. I think that's something that, you know, we've seen some glimpses with the Pelicans in the past few years. They've made playoff appearances and made some, you know, had some really nice games within the postseason, you know, in their series against Phoenix and Golden State. Um, but it's going to be really exciting when the when the Pelicans get back to the point where they're playing playoff games and series that they're expected to win and, like, make deep runs in the playoffs. Um, and Denver got a taste of that this year, right? Been there before but hadn't quite gotten over the hump, and here they are now in the NBA Finals with the series tied uh, one game apiece. We are going to talk more about that NBA Finals matchup and Denver, you know, having an opportunity to go up 2-0 last night. I kind of thought they were going to, and even watching some of the first half there, toward, I started tuning in in the second quarter, and I felt like Denver looked much like Denver did in the first game for a long time there, and I thought, okay, this is going to be 2-0, and Miami is going to be in some trouble. Well, the Heat did as they've done all postseason and kind of just um, ignored those uh, those odds that were stacked against them and found a way to come through and win a game. Really kind of impressive how Miami does it over and over again, but we will get more into that one uh, a little bit later on in today's show. Coming up after this break, we're going to talk to Kevin Foote uh, from Coral Gables, hear from him, hear from everything about that regional. Uh, we'll even ask him a little bit, I'm sure, about the press box situation, how he enjoyed it, you know. Uh, it's always an adventure to to listen to how Foot feels about you know his coverage of other sporting events. So we'll, we'll talk to Kevin uh, coming up. You're listening to Footnotes. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game, Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into this Monday edition of Footnotes. Dawson Iserlo in, filling in for Kevin Foote, who is on his way back right now. Kevin, uh, what a weekend it was in Coral Gables. Um, in a lot of ways, it kind of played out the way we said it would, but uh, then again, there were certainly some surprises along the way. Well, you know, I thought overall the Cajuns played very well. Um, you know, remember when when the brackets came out, people were talking like, it was an easy regional, but Texas was not an easy team. Obviously, they were very good and, and went ahead and won the regional. And then when you played Miami, they had one or two just really good players. The Cajuns really handled the bottom of their lineup. Um, they just couldn't uh, get Morales out. And in the first game, Texas just played fabulous defense. So it was it was kind of... You did what you could do. You played pretty well, and you got beat by a great player and a great defensive team. Well, yeah, and, and along those lines, you know, the first game, I thought the Cajuns kind of played as well as they really could have played in some regards, and John Taylor hits a potential three-run homer and gets brought back, and there's another ball that Rockefeller hits down the line that gets robbed on one of the better catches I've seen in a long time, and like, all those things go go down, and you lose the game by two runs. It feels like, you know, you just got beat. Yeah, I, I think it was that great. It, it was a game where, at the end, you were upset because you lost, but I don't think you weren't mad because you didn't play well. I guess the only thing that you could kind of argue is there were some people there like, why in the world did you pitch to Morales? And, you know, I'm a guy, don't pitch to the other team's best player, but I, I get that you're aggressive, and that's their mindset, and 
they just kind of live with the with that when you have that aggressive mindset. Yeah, and, and so you know, from a pitching standpoint, I thought. I mean, again, I thought they pitched pretty well. Now, Nezu was, was really, really good for a long stretch against Texas at the beginning, and you end up losing the game. But then, you know, Maine, it, it got a little weird at the end there, and he gives up some runs in the late goings, but you were obviously pretty comfortably ahead right there, and I thought Fluno was fine. Um, and then again, yeah, we talked about it, just kind of get beat by the best guys Miami has. But overall, again, especially considering where they were a month ago, I felt like the pitching staff kind of held up in this regional. No, it did. And, and, you know, Christie pitched fine. He retired, I think, the first 70 face. Then they brought Rawls in, and he retired the first 80 face. I mean, it really was hard to argue with. They A month ago, you would have taken that pitching against that competition in a second. And it just they just didn't get quite enough hits. Now, you know me, I, when you score 19 runs, you're probably not going to get a lot of hits with runners in score position in the next game, and they didn't. They just... I thought the thing that was frustrating was in the first, there is three to two, you have a runner on third and one out, and you don't get the run. And, uh, you know, they just kept, they would score and have an inning, and then they would just need that one extra hit, and they just could never get it. Well, you know, before we get too far into the offensive struggles, tell us about the uh, the overall experience in Coral Gables, because I know we, we, we joked about how that was going to go. So what was it like, and, uh, you know, how was it sitting through a couple of rain delays? But well, not, I guess not as bad as it was. Everything went pretty supposed. smooth, except for no food in the press box. Now, the oh. guys from Miami were super nice. They were gracious and, and helpful, and, and all of that was great. Just, you know, fat guys like me, we like oh, food yeah. in the press box. You know how that goes. <laughs> Well, you know, the rain delays, we, we joked about it impacting the tournament. Well, not joked. I guess we speculated about it impacting the tournament. Um, and as it turns out, I guess it didn't really because all the delays were kind of timed out. I don't know if you'd say well, but um, I think they did a good job of stopping things before they could get out of hand, I guess. Um, and, and, for instance, we talked about Baton Rouge and how good the weather was supposed to be, and that was way more impacted by weather than the Miami Regional. Yeah, that, I thought that was totally ironic. No, look. I found out weather in Miami is way more unpredictable and changes. It's like a basketball game is the way I described it. Every you know, every time you think you got it going in one direction, it goes in the other direction. And so no, they, they kinda kinda got it down to a science. So I didn't question them. They 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 knew when it was about to rain and they weren't guessing. They knew what they were doing because they've been through this over and over again. So how about the overall field itself within this regional? Because we hinted at it, but Texas, I mean, and, and the more I looked at it throughout the week, I started to say, look, I think Texas is the best team here. Um, their starting pitching depth, which, you know, it's not like, again, they didn't have a ton of guys, but they had two, and those guys gave them what they needed to. And from there, you get in a situation where you just need one win. I thought that was kind of the difference, especially between them and Miami at least. Oh, definitely. You know, Miami had to use their closer three innings against the Cajuns. And, you know, they didn't – the guy who started against the Cajuns, he had been up and down Rosario. He has great stuff, but he is – they were like – I remember hearing the Miami guys before, like, eh, he's okay, but you never know what you're going to get. And, and they were very pleased with what they got against the Cajuns. But I don't think they had much pitching left, and it, it showed against Texas for sure. What was the – kind of mindset behind a couple of the lineup changes that were made do you think because you know I texted you about a couple opinions I thought they could have went to some guys I certainly never thought about Caleb Stelly and yet 
Dex goes to Stelly. But he, he stuck with Veon this long. I figured he was a senior. He'd stick with him all the way through, but he didn't. And um, I thought Stelly did very well. I thought the the, the play in the game um, that's going to be mostly forgotten is Stelly line drive to second. If it gets over the, if it's a foot higher and it goes gets into right center, you have at worst first and corners on the corners and no outs down by a run in the sixth inning or. Maybe it's a double and you have second and third and no out. So I thought that was the play. That was really the the pivotal game. Uh, so I thought Steli did very well. That worked out well. And how about a couple of those seniors too? Uh, Heath Hood and, and um, certainly C.J. Willis, guys like that. Um, not that they had huge weekends, but, you know, kind of putting a bow on their Cajun careers. And, you know, who knows about some of the juniors that are draft eligible and things of that nature, but thought it was uh it was good especially cooper as well had a pretty good outing in his last time no out. no cooper did well cj got the two out single of the middle he could had four hits yesterday his hustle down the in the infield single gave him a chance at the very end so i i thought they all went out very well look again it you don't want to lose but if you're gonna lose they kind of did it the best way possible where you felt good about the effort and um you're not really upset and so how about a couple of those guys that I just alluded to that uh, certainly Julian Brock and Carson Rockford are the two that come to mind for me right away. They're guys that are going to be draft eligible, and I guess well, it's certainly going to be wait and see mode, but do you have any early ideas about the likelihood of them potentially leaving early? No, but, man, Rockford, I think he looks really good, so I would be surprised if he doesn't get drafted and given a good offer. I, you would kind of expect someone like him to go, but we'll wait and see. Now, overall then, you know, and you can't assume some of these things, especially with the portal. We know a couple of guys are probably going to be in it and the roster's going to shift up in some areas. But on paper, you're bringing back a lot of guys, and maybe that pitching staff is is the question mark early on the way it was for much of this year. But, again, we keep joking about the fact that the pitching was great down the stretch. So uh, what do you think about the overall roster, where it's at, and where Coach Deggs is going to go in the next couple of months? Well, it's always hard to answer those questions in the portal era like we're in now. But, you know, this team does seem genuinely pretty close. So I, I think they're going to be fine. But, you know, I always bring it up. Coach Napier used to always say not all attrition is not all attrition is bad attrition. So we'll wait and see. And lastly, just did you have any other thoughts about the regionals around the country? Did you get to see any of them? Uh, because we had a lot of surprising results. Uh, no, this line right over here. No, there really were. Um, you know, I thought, um, that, you know, I followed the LSU game some last night. You know, that Clemson-Tennessee game the other night was outstanding. So. Well, it's uh, good to catch up with you, Kevin, and um, we will certainly see you back here in the next couple of days when you get back and everything gets rolling again. But uh, thanks for talking to us today. Yeah, yeah. We um, hopefully we'll be back tomorrow morning and get back to normal. Thanks. All right, thanks. This is Footnotes on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Welcome back into a Monday edition of Footnotes. Dawson Isola filling in for Kevin Foote, who is on his way back from Coral Gables. A reminder that we're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Man, what a weekend it was in college baseball. Uh, not only just with our local teams in Coral Gables and in Baton Rouge, but of course, there was action all across the country. And to talk a little bit about those regionals specifically that have some more local meaning as well as the overall regional picture is the host of Crunch Time. It's Matt Miguez. Matt, good morning to you. How is it going? Dawson, I am on the air with you on a Monday morning talking college baseball. I don't think it could be much better than that. Oh, I mean, how about that? It is, look, it's quite a a Monday, and it's always, like, interesting to kind of have to try to decompress from what was, you know, 16 regional sites across the country. And then you get the added caveat that there's plenty more baseball to be played today. Now, I kind of like the the regional format that's shifted around a little bit over the years to give some of these games on Monday uh, more of an opportunity. But then you have some situations, like in Baton Rouge, where the games didn't all get played that were scheduled to get played, and so now we could potentially see two games. Uh, let's start there. You know, all in all, the decision to start Paul Skeens on Friday was controversial at the time, but when you look back on it, it probably couldn't have worked out any better for the Tigers. Yeah, it, it definitely worked out well, and I, I was probably one of the harshest critics of that decision because I, I just really didn't see a reason for Jay Johnson to pull Paul Skeens out there to play Tulane, and that's no knock to Tulane, but if if Ty Floyd or Thatcher Hurd couldn't beat Tulane, my my, my question kind of became, did did you even deserve to win the regional? But, you know, you you, the other thing that I I thought about with the Paul Skeen situation was, if you're going to throw him, he has to be able to go a long way, seven, eight innings, potentially a complete game, and that's exactly what you got out of them. So it worked out, and then on the back end, you got a great performance last night or yesterday afternoon from Thatcher Hurd. I mean, a 12-strikeout performance against Oregon State was just incredible. Um, so, yeah, like you said, for a decision that was controversial at the time, it, uh, it, it worked out in the Tigers' favor for sure. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Thatcher Hurd because I think there's layers to like how this pitching, you know, philosophy and kind of the the way that they went through the rotation. There's layers to how it worked out. Look, I think about a month ago, there's a situation that could play out where LSU has Ty Floyd and Paul Skeens and nobody else because Thatcher Hurd wasn't throwing well. But the fact that Floyd goes out and you know, look, wasn't his sharpest, but got you through a couple innings. But then the rain delay hits, and look, you know, who knows how much longer Floyd was going to last? I know the pitch count was way up there. Um, but they have to go to herd, and you have to get length out of them. Like they were in a situation where they needed four or five solid innings uh, for him to give you five innings. Yeah, he scattered around some hits, gave up a couple of homers. Oregon State's a very good offensive ball club. Like I don't, I, I don't think that can be understated because given the rain delay situation, like that was an opportunity for things to really go against LSU. And I think Thatcher Hurd is a guy who took the ball and said, "I'm going to keep us in it." Yeah, you know, and the the way he performed was exactly what you needed. And and you brought up the fact that, you know, he had a couple home runs they gave up and, you know, the run line didn't look fantastic for Hurd, but you he got he gave you exactly what you needed with his ability to just pound the strike zone, get punch outs and keep you in the game with an opportunity for your offense to deliver, and that's exactly what your offense did. I mean, Dylan Cruz with a two-run homer, Braden Jobert, Hayden Travinsky, Cade Beloso. 
I mean, five home runs in the game yesterday for LSU, and then you, you pair that with the 12 strikeouts from Hurd, now you're in great position knowing that this afternoon, even though there's a 80% chance of rain in Baton Rouge at 1 o'clock this afternoon, uh, you oh, have to course. lose twice to not host a Super Regional next weekend. Yeah, and I think, you, look, you work so hard to get up into that, you know, advantage spot, and I thought it was even more important for a team like LSU because, you know, sometimes if you have a bunch of frontline arms, you can pitch your way back into a regional. But, you know, the situation with LSU is they want to win with offense and certainly get what they can from the guys they have left. Um, now you, you bring in the rain today, which, you know, I hadn't even quite gotten there fully with my thought process. How does how do you think Jay Johnson approaches this now? Because if you start a guy again, like your your last you know I guess starter that you have left is Javen Coleman. If you start Javen Coleman and he throws an inning and the rain comes and you get a two hour delay again, you you don't want to be in a situation where you burn him the way you burn Ty Floyd, right? But also you can't really predict that. So I mean, there's a lot of layers that are going to go into what happens at Alec Box Stadium this afternoon. Yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting decision. I could see him putting out Javen Coleman, but again you have to be careful with how long Coleman can pitch coming off of that Tommy John surgery. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he started. But another name I'm going to throw out, out out at you, he hasn't pitched a lot of innings yet this weekend. I would not be surprised if Jay Johnson starts Gavin, Gavin Gidry on the mound this afternoon. Well, that would be an interesting idea, too, because Gidry, look, he came and slammed the door last night, and that was kind of what they needed because Oregon State, you know, was within a run, of course, throughout that contest. So uh, that would be interesting. Let's go over to Coral Gables now. Um, the Louisiana Ranging Cajuns, we just got done talking to Kevin Foote about it. He was there covering it throughout the weekend, and his thoughts were kind of a lot like mine. Like, you played really, really well in this regional, but Texas is probably a better team than you are, and Miami is probably a better team than you are, and Sometimes you lose games that you play well in, but um, I think that's sometimes tough to swallow. But then again, like um, they went and competed. That, that that's the game of baseball, man. You're you're going to lose games even if you played well enough to win. I mean, you go back to Friday. You you could argue that Texas robbed you of four runs, and you lost by two. So I mean, you, you certainly played well enough to win in that game, and, and then you absolutely pound Miami or, or Maine, excuse me, on Saturday afternoon. And then you come back yesterday and you go lick for lick with Miami, one of the top ten national seeds in this regional tournament, and you just fell a little short. Um, but, no, I mean, when you look at the Cajuns' performance, I thought the offense played well. I thought you got good pitching. I thought you had good defense. You didn't commit a whole lot of errors. Uh, so, I mean, if you're a Cajun supporter or, you know, anything related to the Cajuns' baseball program, I don't think you can be very disappointed with, with how – as an at-large, this performance went for you this weekend. Well, right, and, and I'll ask it maybe a little bit differently than uh, than the way I kind of asked the question of foot. I asked him more about some of the specific guys on the roster and, and things of that nature, but overall for the trajectory of this program, uh, Matt Deggs comes in, you know, he, he takes over in a, in a very difficult situation with the passing of Tony Robichaux. Um, look, admittedly, the roster wasn't where he wanted it to be early on for the first season or so, um, but now I think you've certainly seen the, the identity of what Matt Deggs coach teams looked like, how does he take it to the next level, right? I think this Cajun program knows that they want to get back to hosting regionals and being, um, you know, not a last minute watching the at-large selection show to see if they get in. What, what do For they sure. have to do to take that next step? I think number one is, is you have to attack the transfer portal to get some pitchers um, because you're, you're losing quite a few arms 
with, with guys like Jake Hammond and potentially Blake Marshall. Um, so you you really have to develop the, the bullpen, number one. And then number two is I, I think you need to attack the portal again for offense because if you look at the lineup that Deggs had out yesterday, C.J. Willis at first base, he's a senior. He's not coming back. Julian Brock behind the plate. He's a junior, but he's probably going to get drafted, so he's not coming back. Carson Rockefort, Heath Hood, both of those guys aren't coming back. Max Marshock's not coming back. That's five of your starting nine not returning for you. Now, it's good that you have anchors like Kyle DeBarge and, you know, Connor Higgs. Higgs. So I I think you have to go find guys that can just step right in to to the holes that, you know, Carson Rockefort and and Julian Brock are going to leave for you. And I'm not saying that you don't have those guys already in your system because you very well could. But I think going get veteran guys who are just looking for a new home, maybe have been to a regional before, know what it takes to get it done. I think that's going to pay dividends for you to build on making a regional each of the last two seasons. And I will add in the caveat: I understand Brock and Rockford are going to have a good chance, and like it, you know, their draft stock is certainly high. But the MLB draft has changed over the past couple of years; it's shortened, and so we will see. I think it's going to be. I don't know if it's definite, right? But there is certainly a good chance that those guys leave. So that will be uh, something to monitor over the offseason. Um, let's take a look nationally here, Matt. Like I, I thought it was an incredible regional weekend. We had a lot of host teams go down early. A couple of them are still fighting their way back, and some of them are going to have a chance to book their ticket here today. Um, but a few of them are already gone. Uh, and Vanderbilt comes to mind right away, of course. Uh, what were your biggest takeaways, some of your favorite you know, games and, and moments of this regional weekend? Weather played a factor for everybody, not just in Baton Rouge. Um, Arkansas struggling the way they have has been incredibly surprising. Um, I mean, God, did you – the second baseman for TCU set an NCAA tournament record for RBIs in a game. And he had two homers coming in on the whole season. He hits three home runs and has 11 RBIs in one game against the number 3 national seed in their park. Uh, so that that was insane. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Vanderbilt going down. That was that was un, that was a surprise. I was really proud of Nichols. I mean, up until the very last play, they had Alabama on the ropes, and I, I think if they could have won that game, that regional would have been a much different story for the Colonels. But you look at that regional. You look at Auburn going out. Southern Miss has a very good chance to, to win that regional today. Um, Tennessee coming back to win. They might be hosting a, a regional now, a super regional now. Uh, Stanford falling. Just George Mason and Maryland, that, that regional. We, we talked all week last week about the offense that that regional was going to produce, and it didn't disappoint. Um, you've seen a lot of offensive explosion. You've seen a lot of web gems from defenders. Uh, it was an incredible regional weekend. It's going to be a great championship Monday and uh, already looking forward to the Super Regionals next weekend. Well, Matt, we'll get you out of here with this. You mentioned a couple of them. We talked about some of those SEC surprises. A good bit of them, of course, handled their business. How about in the Sunbelt Conference alongside the Cajuns? 
A couple of teams have a chance to advance today, Southern Miss and Coastal. Do you like either one of those getting it done, or maybe uh, maybe two? Could the Sun Belt have multiple teams in the Super Regionals? I think both of them move on. Uh, you know, the, the way Coastal battled out yesterday, beating Ryder and then beating Duke to force the winner-take-all game today, um, you know, I think that they've got a lot of momentum. I think they're, you know, clicking on all cylinders. Obviously, they're in their home ballpark, so that plays a factor. I think they move on, and then Southern Miss. Look, you know, Penn Penn's had a nice run, and they're they're a great team. I'm not taking anything away from them, but I think Southern Miss is just more of a complete team in regards of outlasting in a situation where you had to beat them twice. So I look for Southern Miss to win today as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could have two teams hosting. I mean, playing in a super regional, and I, I read on social media last night that. There's an outside chance that Hattiesburg could host a super. It's in play. Uh, it's in play, and especially considering that they were, you know, one team that was kind of right in the mix to host uh, a regional, but didn't quite get the For nod. Sure. Well, Matt, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, we can possibly hear you on crunch time this evening. That's going to certainly depend on a whole bunch of factors, such as weather and whether or not the Tigers get it done. But uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, enjoy the uh, last weekend, the last day, I should say, a regional weekend. Dawson, appreciate you as always, my man. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into this Monday edition of Footnotes. Dawson Iserlow in for Kevin Foot on a Monday in which he is traveling back from the Coral Gables Regional where he brought you coverage of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns all weekend long in their uh, trip down to South Beach. Um, look, it was, a, it was a crazy weekend and also just like a quality weekend of college baseball is what I would describe it as. And um, I told you all last week that this is one of my favorite weekends of the year. Um, like even more so sometimes than the College World Series, uh, beginning of the World Series itself, or even you know the Super Regionals. I like the Super Regionals, and I like the format. I do enjoy that it you go from tournament style to then like a classic three-game series, and then you go back to tournament style in Omaha. But as far as just content viewing and you know enjoying it as a fan and as someone who covers the sport, I think Regional Weekend is, is kind of unmatched. And uh, 16 sites, 64 teams in action. And so many of them, you know, either overachieved, underachieved. It, it was n by no means chalk, right? And I think sometimes we worry about that. Um, how many of these, you know, three, four seeds can even compete with these teams at the top? Like, there's just so much, you know, so so much of a talent gap in some of these situations. But I think this weekend was a, was a prime reminder of the parity that exists sometimes within these sports. And, um, you know, that's not like it's breaking news. We've talked a lot about the one-seed struggles in the past, but... For the most part, big-time teams have won the College World Series a lot of the times recently. Now, Ole Miss was an exception last year. Now, they are a big-time brand and a big-time team in college baseball. I don't mean it like that. I just mean in the fact that they were one of the last teams in via the at-large. Um, sometimes that happens with a team that's super talented like that, which, again, has a ton of really, really high-profile guys on their roster. 
that was maybe underachieving at different points in the year. Um, so all that's kind of interesting. I gave you my regional superlatives on Thursday's edition of the show last week when I was filling in for Kevin when he was traveling on his way to Coral Gables. Um, I want to kind of revisit some of those, right? Because, look, some of them worked out and some of them didn't. Um, and I think that's uh, that's the beauty in all this, right? Um, but, like, I really do think um, that there were some interesting storylines that took place in a lot of uh, different places other than just Baton Rouge, of course, and Coral Gables. Uh, the first one's Stillwater, and, um, you know, look, I will certainly check my homework here on the, the good sides and the bad sides. I had a couple that I hit on and a few that I missed. Um, Stillwater was kind of what I what I predicted in that it was wide open, and I didn't actually pick Oral Roberts to win the regional. I wasn't that bold. I actually uh, ultimately still thought Oklahoma State would come through that regional. I thought, you know, I thought, wow, this is a really, really deep regional in which anybody can lose any game. But for that reason, I'll go with who I think is the deepest team and can maybe outlast some of the adversity, and I picked Oklahoma State. Well, I was wrong um, because they get beat by Oral Roberts in the first game in what was a competitive game. Um, And then all of a sudden, the offense took over in the second game. Now, that was the other kind of, um, you know, I called it the pure chaos regional, but I also called it the fireworks regional because I thought there was going to be a lot of offense, and that's what came in the second day of that tournament. Uh, Oral Roberts ends up in the winner's bracket game against Washington. And they give up eight runs early. They were down eight to nothing in the first inning of this ba- of this baseball game. And so, you know, obviously you sit there and go, well, that's, you know, they're a good story as a four seed. They won a game, as can happen in baseball. But, you know, obviously they're not, like, equipped to be here, right, uh, and be in this moment and win the winner's bracket game. Oh, by the way, they just outscore Washington 15-4 to after that first inning and win the game 15-12. to um, Came from behind. I mean, just never flinched, right? Um, you know, Washington had beat DBU in their first game, who Dallas Baptist, um, I'll get into this maybe a little bit later at some point um, on, a, on a different episode, uh, excuse me, on a different show when Kevin's here, because I want to get his opinion on it. But a lot of comparisons for me in my head between Dallas Baptist and Louisiana Rage of Cajun softball. They've been in now seven of the last eight regional finals, but a lot of times they kind of struggle to get through, right? They've won a couple of regionals, but once again, they end up getting to the regional final, but falling short. But the way they got there is scoring 18 runs against Oklahoma State in an elimination game. So the host team here, the Cowboys, they go out by losing a game 18-4 to to Dallas Baptist, and they're 0-2. They're gone on Saturday. Dallas Baptist then dominates Washington 9-1. to And I was thinking, okay, you know, Dallas Baptist is the more complete team, you would think, right? The higher-seeded team. They've got the momentum now. They've won a couple games in a row. I know Oral Roberts is a great story, but who knows how much pitching depth they're really going to have when it gets down to it. Um, and Oral Roberts just held them off. A very competitive game that I thought could have went either way. But remember, even if DBU won this one, they had to beat Oral Roberts again, and it just wasn't happening. So, uh, you know, massive shout-out to Oral Roberts for winning that game and, and winning that regional as a four-seed and not even taking the if-necessary game. I mean, quite a statement, right, to go 3-0, and on the road as the four seed, the biggest underdog in the regional. But then again, I mentioned it. They were 46-11. and 11. They were not your typical four seed. Uh, they were a tough draw. They had to go somewhere. And um, for, unfortunately for the Cowboys of Oklahoma State, Stillwater is where they were sent, and they took advantage. Another one I'll quickly get to here before the end of the hour, and I'll kind of revisit a couple of these in the second hour as well. But I said in Conway, you know, I thought UNCW was going to get it done, and I was actually far off on that one. UNCW goes 0-2 in this regional They lose a uh, 12-3 game to Duke in which Duke just looked great. As much as Duke struggled coming in, they flexed in that first game. But Ryder beats Coastal, and that's where this kind of regional got, you know, dumped on its head. 
Coastal loses 11 to 10, and I, and I had kind of you know voiced my concerns. A lot of the reason I picked UNCW is because I didn't think Duke and Coastal were both playing at a high level. They lose that game, but what that does is sends UNCW into an elimination game against the host team that was pretty upset. The shot to clear's got it done 12 to two, um, forced you know con- continue to stay alive. Duke then beats Ryder in a pitcher's duel. Coastal eliminates Ryder 13 to five, and then yesterday. Coastal beats Duke eight to six, and now that if necessary game happens again. You know a theme that I'll kind of mention when you force the if necessary game, you put the pressure squarely back on the team that was originally in the driver's seat, and it becomes a lot more difficult. You don't have that cushion and that comfort and that feeling and you know playing loose. So uh, I was wrong about Conway and and who I, who was going to ultimately get there, and we'll see if Coastal um, can get that win, potentially represent the Sun Belt Conference in the Super Regionals. Uh, That will be interesting to see. Hour number one is in the books. We will have one more hour for you right here on Footnotes. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back in to hour number two of Footnotes here on The Game. Dawson Isolo in for Kevin Foote. Uh, on a Monday edition of the show. Once again, we're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Um, been going over some of these regionals, and, you know, I again, it was kind of cool for me to have the preview show Thursday where I kind of talked about a lot of the storylines that I liked going in, um, and now just the way it works out with, with the traveling uh, plans of Kevin and me coming in and stepping in once again today, I get to kind of recap some of the things that I talked about. And, uh, you know, look, I'm trying to hold myself accountable here. I'll let you know, Conway, I didn't have the right read on Conway. Um, you know, in, in one area, I think it's kind of funny that Coastal did struggle early in that regional, which is something I talked about. But, um, you know, Duke, who played really poorly coming in, they they showed up early. And um, now they're kind of on the ropes again, though. They, everything switches around with the momentum of these regionals and it's why I love the format so much Um, let's talk here now about a couple more of the regionals that I had previewed for you back on Thursday and some of them played out in the way that we expected some of them certainly didn't Um, Winston-Salem I had a couple of names for it Uh, for one I called it conflicting styles a lot of pitching um, with Wake Forest being so good with so many dominant arms and Northeastern being among the NCAA leaders in ERA um, but then so much offense for teams like Maryland and then Wake Forest, who double dips, right? They're a great offensive team that also has maybe the best pitching staff in the country. Uh, doesn't fully seem fair in a lot of regards. Well, Wake, you know, my last name for it was uh, the, quote, this team is just too good to lose twice regional. Um, and that was, in, of course, in reference to Wake Forest. And I think that might have played out more uh, more accurately than anything. Wake Forest was dominant. They beat George Mason 12 nothing. Uh, and, and George Mason, it became a situation where you thought, well, maybe that team's a little outmatched as a four seed that didn't play in a great conference. That wasn't necessarily the case because George Mason eliminates Northeastern 11-3 to and then comes back and beats Maryland in a slugfest 11-10. to So George Mason goes all the way back to the regional final. Now they were meeting the Demon Deacons there because Wake Forest went ahead and beat Maryland 21-6 to in that regional semifinal and, I mean, just a dominant performance. Maryland was the team that we talked about if someone could trip up uh, them in this regional felt like Maryland's offense would be the one to try to have to match them, um, but it was no match. And Wake Forest just kind of flexed there. They go on to the regional final. George Mason comes out of the loser's bracket with some impressive wins and still had nothing for the Demon Deacons, 15-1 to in that regional final. I mean, it's just going to be tough. And now 
Wake Forest gets matched up with Alabama and, and Tuscaloosa, you know, the Tuscaloosa regional winner in, in the Crimson Tide who, you know, we talked about this on the first show. They certainly, they didn't, uh, they didn't dominate their way through that regional. Troy had them on the ropes and makes an error by their shortstop to lose that game in the winner's bracket game. Nichols in the very first game of that regional had a chance with Jacob Myers, who was outstanding on the mound, kept a minute, and Alabama wins that by just one run. Um, but they did look much sharper against Boston College in the regional final, didn't take the if-necessary game. So, hey, Alabama, look, a team that had a lot going on this season, a coach who was fired because of uh, connection to gambling and, and betting on his, you know, these different situations and his team and everything else, and that, that took place, a lot of that in Baton Rouge. So um, a lot going on, but a team that really rallied once uh, once the cards were stacked against them and they had everything going on. So um, all in all for Alabama, a pretty impressive run. With all that being said, go by, by the way, go play the best team in the country in a Super Regional and try to beat them two out of three. Hey, stranger things have happened. Again, one seeds have not had the most success. Uh, let's quickly head out to the game hotline. Um, you're live on Footnotes. How's it going? Hey, what's going on, Dawson? Oh, how is it going? Crazy weekend, huh? Dawson, was it that Tennessee-Clemson game the greatest college ball game you ever seen? And boy, I thought it was. Oh, I mean, it had everything, right? Uh, it had, you know, uh, certainly some good pitching. Now, the scores end up, they score a few runs here, but when you play uh, as many innings as they did, you know that there was some good pitching involved. There was an ejection that, uh, you know, we talked about a little bit on the first show. I'm not a fan of taking a guy out of a game in that situation. Um, you know, we don't know necessarily what was said, but from everything I've heard about it, felt like that was tough. And then that ended up really hurting Clemson because they end up falling the next day to Charlotte as well. You know, that guy, the, uh, the, the two-way player, I think if they would have left him in to finish off that game in the ninth, they would have held on to beat Tennessee. Yeah, and, and it's always tough, right? Because in that situation, how much are they thinking ahead? Uh, and and you certainly you probably can't afford to, especially in as close a game that that was. But you know, just always trying to set up your bullpen and your your guys for what's left in the rest of the regional. Um, yeah, it, it was a it was a great ball game, and and you know, one that Tennessee looked. We talked about how kind of dangerous they were because they didn't have to deal with the pressure of being the number one overall seed the way they did last year when they struggled. And I think they took that really well and and they used the opportunity Clemson was one of the hottest teams in the country coming in but Tennessee matched them you know it's a shame that Tennessee won't be advancing because you know uh, even though they you know I mean not uh, Clemson not advancing because they're easily one of the best 16 teams in the country you know you go back to the region we were talking with Oral Roberts being a four seed I, I saw maybe out of the 16 region regional Oral Roberts was probably better than probably either at least half of the three seeds don't you believe, don't you agree? I do and and I think the reason they were seated the way they are is because of RPI and we talked about that with this committee, you know, that that valued RPI and I don't necessarily blame them because there's a situation where you go I get that Oral Roberts has a great record but they haven't played anybody and you know to some extent that's true. But what we did talk about last week is they played Oklahoma State twice in the regular season and beat them both times. So they actually end up going 3 and 0 against the, you know, national number 11 overall seed. Um, but sometimes the RPI goes against you and, and ends up making you a four seed. But in some ways, it actually worked into their favor because they kind of, I, I don't know if they came under the radar because, again, they already beat them. They should have known. But they're really, really good. And, and you don't win 46 games by not being very good throughout the whole season. You know, I don't know who's going to host, but if uh, Southern Miss uh, uh, comes back and wins their game today and they, uh, they're going to be playing Tennessee, that's going to be a hell of a super regional. 
It and really... I, where it's where it's at is going to matter, but Tanner Hall pitched pitch his butt off uh, uh, that first game for, uh, Friday. Yeah, and in a losing effort, uh, which is all the more impressive that Southern Miss has kind of found their way all the way back here. But, yeah, and I saw a lot of discussion on Twitter last night about people, you know, saying that it would be at Tennessee because of the, you know, facilities or whatever. But then I think people forget Southern Miss is top 10 in the nation in attendance consistently and has one of the better facilities. So that's not necessarily the case the way you would assume when you have a smaller program against a bigger program. I don't know who they'd give it to. I, I would, you know, I saw two the the D1 baseball guys mentioning that since Southern Miss was so close to hosting in the first place and Tennessee was a little further back, that maybe that would be something. But then again, the Golden Eagles had to get past Penn, who Penn played really well all weekend too. Like even that game, they, they end up, the final score ends up being, what, 11-2 to two last night, but that was a one-run game with the Golden Eagles until the ninth inning. Yes, it was. You know, so, but, you know, all I, all I can say, I know you enjoyed it too. That was just a great weekend of baseball, buddy. You have a good day. All right, thank you. Yeah, no, and, and, and I think um, – FedEx man and I are in agreement on that. Like it's, it was, it was all over the place, and um, you know, it, it, it happened for some of the local teams around here. LSU's in a great spot. It didn't for others like the Cajuns, and you know, to an extent, Nichols and Tulane, who both went out uh, in a couple of games as well. But um, you know, he brings up an interesting point there, and I hadn't really talked about it. There's, there's something that that has now come up a few times, and it's this idea that teams that aren't national seeds getting a chance to host, and who goes into what what decides who hosts in those situations. Obviously, the way it works is any of the one seeds who are 1 through 16, um, you know, if both one seeds win, then the team that's seeded higher hosts. Now, that was partly part of the reason that they seed 1 through 16 now, which they didn't always do, is to make those decisions easier, right? Because it became a little bit arbitrary about, well, you know, this team, let's say LSU and Kentucky had both won, and the RPIs would have said one thing, but, you, you know, the resume would have made LSU the better team, and Everyone would have been sitting there after if they both won their regionals going, well, who's hosting, right? And then you'd have some decision made. Now that everyone's seeded 1 through 16, if the top seeds win, it's no big deal. The team that's the higher seed, so in this case, Baton Rouge, like it's going to be LSU. But when both teams aren't seeded that win a regional, uh, it doesn't happen every year like this, but we could have a couple instances of it. We already have one, and that's Oregon and Oral Roberts. Oregon was uh, the two seed in the Nashville regional. Oral Roberts was the four seed. Now, the way it's going to end up working out is that Oregon's probably going to host that. I don't think there's going to be even a question because Oral Roberts was obviously lower seeded than them. Should they have been? You know, uh, we talked about that just now with FedEx, man. I do think RPI-wise, they didn't have an argument, right? It just wasn't there for them. But they did win. Now they're, they're what, 49-11? and 11? Um, Impressive stuff. But Oregon's going to host that. But in a situation like Tennessee and Southern Miss, which the Golden Eagles do have to get it done today, they were both the two seed in their own regionals, and they both weren't hosts. So I've seen some people say that the winner of the higher-seeded regional gets the benefit of the doubt, and in that case it would be Tennessee because Clemson was the four seed and Auburn was the 13th. But at the same token, I do think it's ultimately up to the committee. There's no like set way that they decide these things, um, and that was kind of some of the discussion this weekend. And you know, to those that credit that argument, like Southern Miss was much closer to being a host team than Tennessee was by all accounts. So. In that situation, do the Golden Eagles get to host this Super? And, I mean, that's huge implications, right? Especially of team like, the you know, Southern Miss and Tennessee, I would say pretty evenly matched on paper. Like, you got a legit top-tier ace on Friday night for Southern Miss. And we talked about how much talent Tennessee had. They returned a lot of it. Sometimes you, you could maybe say they underachieved at points this year, but they're playing their best baseball of the year at the right time. So, man, that's there's, there's going to be a lot that goes into that. 
Um, you know, Cajun fans have gotten this kind of new school rivalry with Southern Miss too, and so we know how that fan base is. And uh, I don't think it would be a very happy day in Hattiesburg if the Golden Eagles do pull this out and then they get told they're going to Knoxville. But hey, by the way, the team, whoever, and again, we're projecting here, let's not count out the Penn Quakers yet because I really was impressed with how they played all weekend. Um, But whoever doesn't get the host site is going to have that extra added motivation. So on one hand, the team who gets the host site is going to have the advantage of playing at home all weekend. But on the other hand, whoever doesn't get it is going to be really upset and is going to be playing with that much, you know, look, how much extra motivation do you need in the Supers going to Omaha? Not, Not a whole lot, I'd imagine. But all those things play into this, as, of course, Kevin Foote would tell you, circumstances matter in these situations. While I'm over there on that regional, the Auburn regional, um, that was one that I said, you know, was called the something has to give regional. And I talked about that because of how hot all four teams were coming in. I said, I know Auburn and Southern Miss are the top two seeds here, but take a look at what Sanford and Penn did. And, and these teams haven't lost series, you know, like everybody in this regional was playing really well. Now, to an extent, I know a ton of teams play well coming in the regionals, but nobody in this whole tournament had lost a series since April 23rd. Everybody had won every series they played in May, and I thought that that was interesting to see. Like, how would that play out? And we got the two underdogs, Penn and Samford, winning both of their first games. 6-3 to three for Penn over Auburn, the host team, and then 4-2 to two for Samford, who beat Tanner Hall, by the way. Like, just an impressive feat in its own right. So, you know, Southern Miss then goes and eliminates Auburn. It's a disappointing showing for them, who, you know, I ended up actually ultimately picking them. So I can't say I had this regional all figured out. I thought all four teams were dangerous, but I did pick the Tigers um, because of how hot they were. But they kind of flame out quickly. Penn beats Sanford in the 1-0 matchup, and you're going, is Penn going to pull this off Like as the four seed, as, a, as an Ivy League team? Um, Southern Miss eliminates Sanford and gets back to Penn. And again, it's 11-2 to is the final score, but Southern Miss scored eight runs in the top of the ninth. Now, that happened. You can't ignore it. But I think Penn has battled all weekend. However, as I've mentioned with Conway, and I've mentioned it with some of the other regionals in play here, once you get that win and you force the winner-take-all game, I think you, you're you now the, the team with the advantage. So I think Southern Miss has the advantage now going into today's game. It'll be at 2 o'clock. It's going to be uh, fascinating to see now. Southern Miss has used up some pitching. They threw a bunch of different guys. Of course, they had to when you're in that loser's bracket situation. So who do they have left? Who do they go to? We'll have to wait and see. Penn should, in theory, have a little bit more pitching, but also you would assume that a team like Penn out of the Ivy League has a little bit less depth, so that's going to be in play as well. Um, but I just thought a fascinating regional in general in which uh, the lower-seeded team won a couple of games early on. Southern Miss is the one that weathered the storm so far and battled back, and uh, that will be plenty of excitement left over there in Auburn. we got to take a timeout, but when we come back, going to talk a little bit of NBA Finals, the Denver Nuggets could not get it done to go up 2-0. Miami is right back in this series. I'll get to some thoughts on that next right here on Footnotes. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Oh, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, 
welcome back into Footnotes. Dawson Iserlow filling in for Kevin Foote on a Monday edition of the show in which, I mean, what a, what a day to, to come in and fill in for Kevin. I've been excited because of how much there was to talk about. No, you know, some days the rundown's a little bit, you know, takes a little longer to fill out than others this day. I mean, it was filled up and I had a lot of stuff I wasn't even going to be able to get to. So um, I did want to talk a little bit about the NBA Finals and Game 2 took place last night. We mentioned it and did a little bit on it in, on RP3 and Company this morning. Um, but, you know, look, I, 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 I'm fascinated by storylines oftentimes, especially in big series like this, and what Miami's done and what they've been able to do. And the fact that they've kind of defied the odds at every step has been something I was keeping an eye on throughout this, of course, as many were. And I, I'll be honest, I, I gave up a little bit of hope in the first game against Denver and then specifically in the first half of this one. I had thought, you know, coming in, even if they lost the first game, I told myself I wasn't going to give up on on the idea of Miami turning it on, especially considering the fact that they had to grind out a seven-game series um, since they let Boston get back into it. And they were going to be less rested heading to Denver. The altitude is sometimes a factor when you're playing a team in in Denver. And so all that into consideration, I said, no matter what happens in the first game, I'm not going to kind of let my opinions of the overall series sway too much, which still were that I thought Denver was the better team and would win the series. But I thought Miami would show us that grit a couple of times. Um, I went against my own better judgment. And within this game itself, in game two, I kind of started losing faith in what Miami was going to be able to do, going to be able to do. And, of course, as they've done all postseason, they proved me wrong yet again within the game itself. The moment I'm talking about, I got uh, I turned this game on towards the end of the first quarter. I was just getting back from having, you know, covered and, and just got finished up with some other regional stuff and had both TVs going, right? Had squeeze play on one um, and had the NBA Finals on the other. And it, there's a point in this second quarter where it's starting to happen for Denver offensively and Miami can't really buy a bucket. It's 50 to 35 at this point, and there's six minutes left, or no, five minutes left in the second quarter. And at that point specifically, I felt like there wasn't an answer for Miami. I really didn't. And I thought they're going down 2 0. They're going to have to really dig deep to try to win game three in Miami. And if not, this could be a shorter series than we even maybe expected. Uh, Jokic was putting up shots in the lane, which at this point, it's not tremendously surprising because of how often he does it. But I try to not let myself not appreciate the greatness that's taking place in front of me sometimes. Um, Jokic is going down in the lane and just, I mean, literally, and my dad and I were joking about this while the game's on. He's like, he literally, it's like he has a magnet to the basket where anything he throws up, it just goes in. It's like, that's the worst shot ever. It goes in. If Jokic takes it, I trust that it's going in. Uh, sometimes the other guys take a bad shot, and you're like, oh, no, what are you taking that shot for? When Jokic takes it, I just assume no matter how horribly covered he is or whatever angle he's at, that he's going to find a way to either make it or make it look close. And um, that was going for them at some points there, and it just felt like Miami didn't have anything. And lo and behold, Miami responds the way they always do. And I thought Eric Spolstra and the Heat put on a master class of just kind of strategic defense as well. Um, another thing they decided to do, and look, I don't know if it was a concerted effort to let Jokic beat you uh, and, and go just defending everyone else. I think they still had plans to limit Jokic. But there's a point in this game where you can tell they're just saying, all right, somebody other than him has to beat us. And if he's going to get his, we're going to let him get his to an extent. But Jamal Murray is going to be hounded every time he gets the basketball. And, you know, Contavious Caldwell Pope, he's not getting easy looks from the outside the way that at times he's gotten. Um, and same with their other guys. And, and you saw a couple of a couple of possessions there where Miami just locks in defensively. 
and I thought completely just changed the the script of how this was going to go. And they get it done with what we mentioned in the first show was not a special, you know, tremendous, like, crazy effort from one individual guy. Nobody had 40 points the way Jokic did. They just got it from a bunch of different ones. And, And Jimmy Butler, as dominant and great as this playoff run has been, and it has been legitimately like all time stuff, uh, what he did, and, and we've already probably, you know, we don't forget about it, but it's already kind of in the back of our minds a little bit what he did against Milwaukee, but I don't want us to forget that, right? But there's been a moment in these playoffs where, and I don't know if Jimmy would actually tell you this or, or how the mindset is within the locker room, but you can see from my perspective that they said, okay, as great and dominant as Jimmy's been, Somebody else needs to step up at points, too. And, like, we need to take some of that load off of Jimmy Butler. And they've done that. Like, not only have they done it, it's easy to say that. Of course, everyone would try to do something like that. But they've done it and been able to win games with guys, again, that just just aren't supposed to be doing what they're doing. And I thought last night was another example of it, where Duncan Robinson comes back and and hits a couple of huge threes, a couple of step-back looks that were tough looks that he gets to go he also had a drive into the paint there where he kind of floated one up that I didn't think he was going to get. That's the one where he kind of had the uh, the mean mug shot of him uh, going back down the court as I think a timeout was called right after. And so a couple of those plays that just kind of changed this game, and all this is happening with Caleb Martin not in the lineup, who had been enormous in the Eastern Conference Finals. So it's just it's just crazy that they keep doing it. And um, I know we've, we've already done a lot of discussion on what they've been able to accomplish and, and what Eric Spolstra means as a coach. Um, and what he's able to do, but I don't know. I, I, I did not see them getting back into it the way they did. Of course, they closed the gap a little bit before the half, which I think is certainly very important. That's always big to get the momentum. They get it down to five right there at the end, but Miami makes a little bit, uh, or excuse me, Denver makes a little bit more of a run, and it ends up being a six-point lead at the half. Um, from there, you're going, okay, maybe it's a ball game, maybe not, but then Miami just kind of chips away and eventually takes control. And, you know, they did it with a great effort in that third quarter. By the end of the quarter, though, that's kind of the crazy thing about this all once again. They get they, they chip away and they get back in it in the third. And then Denver creates a little bit more separation and has an eight-point lead going into the final frame. And again, you go in, and I did it again. I go, there's Denver. Like, Denver's coming. The run's going to happen. They're not going to be able to stop Jokic. Murray's going to hit a couple of big shots. And Denver's going to win this game by ten points. And Miami just just stares adversity in the face and, and responds from it. And it starts again with the Duncan Robinson stretch right there at the beginning of the fourth quarter. He hits the three. He makes the layup in the lane. He hits another three. And then that last layup he makes before the timeout where they go up by three was kind of the end of the, of the Duncan Robinson stretch of this game. But it completely changed everything. And from there, Miami's able to now play with a lead and play, of course, you can change what your approach is offensively. You don't have to feel the pressure and urgency of the time that you did when you were down by eight. Um, From there, look, Jokic hits a couple of really tough shots down the stretch, but it doesn't matter because Miami has answers every single time. And again, they got it from different guys. Um, You know, and Jokic was battling his way to the free throw line a couple of times here too, but Butler hits a couple of big shots down the stretch. And all of a sudden you look up and it's, it's, it's a 10 point lead, like in a hurry for Miami. After all that fighting and all that battling they do to get back in it, they go up and they end up leading by 10. So, you know, Denver then makes it interesting at the very end. They almost hit the three to tie the game at the very, very on the very last play. But um, overall, Miami's now right back in the series. So where do we go from here? Is what you might ask. And I, I, I could be, you know, I could try to say I have an idea of how Game Three is going to go and that it's going to be, uh, you know, Denver kind of 
reclaiming control or it's going to be another gritty performance from Miami. I really do not know what to expect in Miami in Game 3. And there's a couple different reasons for that. For one, in a lot of ways, Miami now has the momentum here. Like, they have the split. They have home court advantage, let's not forget now, moving forward with a 1-1 tie. Um, they're going back to to South Beach, which, you know, it just got uh, done. A lot of sports going on in that area, huh? The, Mar- the Marlins were at home, I think it was. The Coral Gables Regional taking place. Oh, by the way, your team, your basketball team, the Miami Heat, are in the NBA Finals in Denver. Um, so they come back home, and they have a lot of the momentum. But at the same time, you're you're expecting that Denver response. You know, when, when you lose a game as good as Denver's been throughout this whole postseason, you're expecting the response game. So, so who kind of gets the better of that in this situation? Um, I think there's there's going to have to be some, again, Miami, it happens every game now. It has to be somebody that we weren't expecting going into these playoffs. And then that's the funny thing, too. We start going to, well, okay, we're going to expect Caleb Martin to be good because of how consistent he was in the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, he's terrible in Game 1, and he doesn't play in Game 2. So you're already going, well, I guess it's not going to be Caleb Martin. So now you're thinking, I mean, Vincent played well in Game 2, so is it him? Is it Struess again? Like, is it Duncan Robinson who just had a great performance in Game 2? I I don't know where you go with it if you're Miami, but you know you have to get a performance from someone that's not named Jimmy Butler. That's kind of been the theme, right? Even if Butler's great, you got to get a couple of role players to step up. So I would expect that to happen. But if you're Denver, the other good thing for you is I don't think you're going to have as slow a game from their role players, and not even their role players, their secondary stars, right? Jamal Murray, I think, is going to be better in Game 3. Um, you can maybe expect to get a little bit more out of KCP and some of those guys. So if I had to say it right now, who I thought was going to win game three, I would take Denver. But this is a great opportunity for the Heat. Like you have a real legitimate opportunity now to go up 2-1 and start to really, we talked about it in the baseball regionals about who's feeling the pressure. You could put some tremendous pressure on the top seed out of the West if you take a 2-1 series lead with another home game looming in Game 4. That's a long way away from happening. I know it is, but um, that that would make things quite interesting um, in the chase for the Larry O'Brien Trophy. So, we got to take a timeout. When we come back, Baton Rouge Regional. Let's head back over to Baton Rouge, get an insight look from somebody who's been covering that regional all weekend long, and I'm sure we'll be uh, out there again today for the regional final between LSU and Oregon State. It's going to be Zach Nagy. We'll talk to him next right here on Footnotes. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into Footnotes, a Monday edition. We have covered a ton of different topics today. We've already hinted a little bit at the uh, Baton Rouge Regional. We talked with Matt Miguez about it. But now we're going to talk to a guy who has been covering the Regional all weekend long. He is a writer for LSU Country with Rivals. It is Zach Nagy. Good morning to you, Zach. How are you? Good morning, man. How's it going, guys? Well, it's been look, it's been fun to kind of keep track of this all weekend and the Baton Rouge Regional, it certainly hasn't gone on uh without a hitch, right? There's been a ton of weather in the area and a ton of rain delays. Just what did you make of the first 3 days of this tournament and um ultimately the results being good for LSU? It just took a long time to get there. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a pretty long last few days with these weather delays. 
But ultimately, the Tigers have kind of gotten it done. On Friday, you saw Paul Skeens do what Paul Skeens does best. And, you know, that's just hit the mound and put together a masterclass performance. A complete game, 12-strikeout night for him. And it was kind of what this, this program needed to kind of get things going in this regional. There were a lot of people questioning the decision to even start Skeens. But ultimately, if you didn't start him Friday, there could be some repercussions when it comes to Super Regionals if LSU advances that far. But he handled business, and it's, so far it's playing out considering the weather delays and you know everything kind of getting pushed back a little bit. So Friday was great for this program. Really showed out. Um, you know, when it comes to at the plate, it's been an efficient, consistent weekend for them, and it translated once again to last night against Oregon State. You saw Josh Pearson, your nine-hole hitter, really come alive with a triple, a home run, and you know, handle business in that area. Braden Joe Bear has been doing his thing. He <laughs> You know, he put us over the edge once again uh, yesterday, and it's just been a really efficient weekend for this program and look to close it out today against Oregon State. Yeah, and I, you bring up the offense, and I'm glad you did because the funny thing about it is as as well as they've done in certain aspects, and, you know, you mentioned the power certainly hitting a couple of home runs, I still don't feel like they've broken out necessarily in this tournament, and we've seen throughout the season this team doesn't go, you know, three, four games in a row without having a huge breakout game for the most part. So I almost think that they have you know, they can expect to get even more out of the offense, and that might be what you need when you end up running towards the end of a regional with some of the pitching concerns that LSU's had all year. And I can completely agree with that. You know, the mold of this team has really been just an offensive juggernaut and how successful they've been at the plate this entire season. And they're doing what they do best right now, but I really feel like they haven't even hit their stride like you said. Considering you're getting Josh Pearson, who's killing it at the plate, you haven't even really seen Tommy White do his thing quite yet. Um, he's kind of been in a little bit of a slump, him and Gavin Dugas both. So once you start getting consistency throughout the entire lineup, it can get really scary for this program as they continue hitting their stride. You know, Obviously, you have to close things out there with Oregon State. Uh, it's going to be a battle once again, as we all know. But you know, this team's, there's a lot of room for improvement as they turn the corner and prepare for the rest of this postseason run. Well, let's talk about Oregon State, uh, the team that LSU faced yesterday, or you know, and it should have been Saturday. Of course, everything got shuffled around, and the Beavers, who have been here before, look a pride and uh, storied program who's won national titles. And you know, interestingly enough, the Tigers and Beavers have now run into each other several times in the postseason. Um, they gave LSU everything they could handle, but fall short. They had to do the very difficult task of turning around and playing Sam Houston right afterwards. And they responded, winning a 3-1 to game in which they got some standout pitching performances. But as you get to Monday of a regional, Oregon State already had some pitching injuries coming in. Um, I get the sense that the pitching's going to be pretty thin for them. They're going to need a, maybe a performance from a guy who they're not quite expecting it from to have a chance against LSU today. Yeah, Oregon State has been, they, they battled the injury bug a little bit, just like LSU kind of has, you know, from their bullpen, but... It's going to take a lot out of the tank from both programs from the pitching realm today. You're going to see a lot of bullpen action. You're going to go a couple guys deep. It's going to be a it's going to be a battle in that area. Oregon State looked absolutely gassed last night against Sam Houston. Ultimately, they came out with the win, but they just looked absolutely fatigued as they should be. They they played. They were on that field from roughly 1 p.m. yesterday to almost midnight. So it, it, they've they've been putting in a lot of work. They're exhausted, and you know it's it's, it's like once again it's going to be a, a big battle. Um, and Alex Fox Stadium between the two. So let's get into the pitching uh, a little bit more specifically for LSU. It's been a discussion throughout the show here today. We kind of talked about some different angles you can take. I think the most obvious approach would be to start Javen Coleman, but 
Uh, we're going to hear from Jay Johnson pretty soon about a starter, but not quite yet. So what is your feeling on where he might be leaning? I think a lot of people, as you said, are leaning towards Javon Coleman getting the start today. You could see Cole, you could see Coleman or Money get on the mound, Blake Money. Um, I think a lot of people would be certainly surprised if Kristen Little earned the start, though it's not out of the question. But I think your most reliable move would probably be to go Javon Coleman. You know, you're probably going to get another weather delay today. The weather's not looking all that great in Baton Rouge. So you might get Javon Coleman for a couple of innings and flip-flop and give Blake money, uh, you know, the keys once that rain delay ends. So obviously that's a little bit looking ahead. But I think Javon Coleman could get the start for the Tigers today. Well, okay, but I'm, I'm glad you said that because I want to I go into that a little bit further here while we've got a minute. If, you know, and we don't know how much. Jay Johnson hasn't quite been transparent about what the decision process with Paul Skeens was, but there's been an idea that maybe he factored the weather in there. Now when you're looking at today, if there is going to be a delay, do you think that that maybe makes him, given that Javon Coleman is the most prototypical starting type pitcher they have left, do you think maybe Jay Johnson goes, I don't know if I want to start him in case we burn him the way they kind of did with Ty Floyd, or do you think he just has to throw him out there and hope for the best? Like that, that's, there's just layers to this weather situation that keep getting you know thicker and thicker. No, that's an absolutely incredible point. Just because yesterday the weather looked great, I think not many people expected you know a, a large rain delay yesterday. You went with Ty Floyd. You expected to get him on the mound for quite some time, and then ultimately you knew it was a do-or-die situation, so you had to throw Thatcher Hurt on the mound. Obviously, he came in and put together a masterclass, 12-striker performance. There were some bumps in the road along the way. But, you know, you burned Thatcher yesterday because it was such a must-win situation. And then fast forward to today, I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think you have to put Javen on the mound th- just because you have to get the most out of what you can. Then you look after the potential rain delay, throw money on the mound, and work from there. But, yes, the weather situation is certainly something that Jay Johnson is going to have to look, look to as he has all weekend. And then I guess another advantage of how you've handled your pitching this weekend, given that only four guys have thrown, and Gavin Guidry would certainly likely be available again, given how little he threw. If you do have to go bullpen game, if you get into a let's say a do or die game tonight, you got everybody else is available. You could get multiple innings from Ackenhausen, Money, and all those different guys, right? So I guess that's gonna kind of be, be the approach. But man, it'd be really tough if they end up losing out on a on a Coleman start because of a rain delay and. Uh, I, man, I don't know. That'd be tough to come back from, especially if you struggle early on after the rain delay or something along those lines. But um, l- let's get you know to to overall the, the feeling of this team and like where do you think their mindset is now? I guess they expected to be here in a two and zero situation. Do you think that this team is as mentally strong as they've been all year? And and do you think that there's confidence within those guys in the bullpen and the guys that they're going to need to step up? Aside from the bullpen, just the confidence perspective. When you have Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz kind of leading your squad, it's hard to not be confident and feel comfortable with where you're at. You know, we spoke to Paul and Dylan on Thursday ahead of the regional, and, you know, both those guys just talked about how mentally locked in this team is. Um, they're where they expected to be. They're, they're playing in the regional championship. They, they knew that they could get here if they played consistent, efficient ball, and they've done just that. And here they are with a chance to punch their ticket to the Super Regionals. When you're looking at the bullpen, like you said, you have Ackenhausen. Adding Gidry, the rise of the true freshman, has just been something just incredible. And considering he wasn't even really expected to be a pitcher this year, he was expected to play in the infield, and he kind of stepped up once a bunch of injuries happened. And another guy that we haven't really mentioned is Riley Cooper. You have your bodies in the bullpen. You have your guys there. It's just a matter of staying mentally strong. Obviously, if the weather factors into that. But, you know, you just got to stay mentally strong, stay prepared, show out and do your thing. And you have the bodies. It's just a matter of, you know, 
putting it all together and making it happen for this team so that they can punch their ticket to the Super Regionals. We're speaking with Zach Nagy of LSU Country. He joins us here to preview the uh, Championship Monday edition of the Baton Rouge Regional. Zach, we'll get you out of here with this. Uh, if, the, if the LSU Tigers are going to come through, as, as many of us probably expect them to do so here today, uh, what will have happened uh, at Alex Box Stadium? Is, is it going to be about offense, pitching? What do you think gets it done today? It's going to be all about pitching. And I think if you ask anybody that question, they would answer it the exact same way. For the most part, you know what you're getting at the plate. You're going to get a solid day from Dylan Cruz. Josh Pearson's really stepped up. You know your guys. You know what you're going to get offensively. It's an offensive juggernaut with LSU. It's ultimately going to be what happens with this pitching staff. Is the weather going to come into a factor? Are they going to waste potentially a Javon Coleman start? What's going to happen in that realm? But it's going to be what happens with the pitching, the bullpen. Can they come through and make it happen? And so far, you know, they've taken strides in the right direction over the last couple of weeks, and that's going to be the deciding factor in this one. Well, Zach, appreciate your time as always. Uh, thank you for joining us, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good one. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Welcome back into Footnotes on a Monday edition of the show. Last segment here of the day before we uh, take our break. And, of course, remember, LSU baseball will be on the airwaves here on the game later this afternoon. Now that is tentatively scheduled. I feel the need to now say tentatively because uh, the forecasts that have rolled in haven't been completely promising. But as of now, 12.30 pregame, 1 o'clock first pitch for the LSU Tigers taking on the Oregon State Beavers right here on the game. Chris Blair will have the call for you. Uh, That is tentative, assuming the weather holds up. Hopefully it does, and that game's able to go on. If it does and LSU wins it, they are the regional champs. They're moving on to Supers, which they would host against the winner of Kentucky and Indiana. If LSU falls in that first game, there will be a winner-take-all game. Remember, they are 2-0. and The Oregon State Beavers are 2-1, and so the Beavers have to win twice today. That winner-take-all game would be scheduled for 5 o'clock, but that would be assuming the first game went on without rain delays and the second game, and, you know, you guys get the idea at this point. But as of now, that is the plan for the broadcast scheduled this afternoon. Uh, look, we've hit on a lot today, and I, I, I kind of tried to cover as many different bases as I could here. I wanted to talk about the NBA Finals a bit because I thought last night's game was really fascinating, and of course it is the Finals. It's that time of the year. It's not like uh, it's just the uh, you know regular season or anything, so we certainly had to make space for it. Um, the Astros continue to roll, and we discussed that a good bit. Three out of four over the Angels, despite dropping the finale yesterday. I actually saw um, some more cause for excitement with J.P. France's kind of reemergence, and he's been so solid, so... You know, if, if you can continue to get that out of him, we saw what Blanco did in his first start. Brandon Belax continued to be reliable. Um, I, I think that only is, is good things for the future, not only this year, but, you know, the future of the team in general. And I think that's a great opportunity. Today, 6.07, the Astros will face Toronto. Brandon Belak is on the mound. I mean, again, 2-2 two and two with a 3 one ERA for Belak. How about those numbers for a guy who you thought maybe he's in long relief, maybe he's in AAA. Like, that was my thought process about Belak heading into the season. And he has certainly exceeded expectations. He'll be facing Alec Manoa, who, you know, Manoa, a guy with a lot of potential and has certainly been thought of very highly at different points in his career, but he's had a rough start. He's 1 and 6 with a 5 4 6, so he's looking to turn things around uh, in his start tonight. And the Astros do have a bit of a tough task here 
going on the road to Toronto after they just finished a home series last or yesterday afternoon. And um, we kind of mentioned this already, um, but 11, 12, 13, uh, 16 consecutive games without an off day for the Astros by the end of this road trip. Uh, and then um, coming back, actually. And, um, uh, yeah, well, they'll be at Toronto and at Cleveland. But they're going to have ended up playing 16 consecutive games in 16 consecutive days. So, certainly a test. And uh, a team that's dealt with some injuries, that's not always the best-case scenario. Um, you know, look, offensively with the Strohs, I think Altuve has been able to come back. And then, of course, he suffered a, a bit of a setback, an oblique strain or, you know, I'm not exactly sure if they called it a strain or not, but some discomfort there and he was out of the lineup. So, you know, that's something to monitor. Even if he comes back and plays, you're always going to be certainly mindful of something like that in those first couple of, of, of games back. Um, and, you know, given the, the kind of things that Altuve has dealt with of, of late, um, you're always going to be keeping a close eye on that. So we'll see if he's going to be in the lineup tonight. I wouldn't be completely shocked if he wasn't. Um, just to try to make sure you take every precaution necessary with Altuve, who, look, for all things considered, came back from the hand injury and played great in his first uh, week or so back. So you don't want to have any setbacks there, um, you know, beyond what you've already had with him missing yesterday's game. So we'll be keeping that in mind as we as we get started with this series and of course, Kevin's going to have a lot to say about the Astros as we talk um, tomorrow and the rest of the week about that. Um, you know, kind of wrapping up my thoughts about the regionals, just just enjoyed it so much, and, and I thought the coverage of it was excellent. I think, um, you know, some teams that we didn't expect to be there are there. Some teams today that we didn't expect to be playing today will be playing. Um, Penn, in particular, is one of them. And uh, Oral Roberts has already punched their ticket. Oregon was a team that won the Vanderbilt Regional and looked dominant. All of a sudden, they're playing some great baseball. That's a program that, you know, maybe not as surprising to see Oregon as it is to see a team like Oral Roberts or Penn succeeding. But, uh, you know, the Ducks were kind of under the radar for a long time this year. We didn't know. I don't know if we knew what to think of the Pac-12 for a lot of times this season. Now here's Stanford, who's, you know, went to the loser's bracket but has now battled back, and they're going to be in a winner-take-all game today um, in the in the Pac-12 conference. So, you know, all things considered, the Pac-12 has a chance to make it a pretty nice weekend if, if Stanford comes through today and joins, you know, the likes of Oregon there overall. But, you know, Indiana State's another takeaway for me where I think, man, just impressive what they did. Um, to earn a regional host site, to be criticized at times, and some people thought they weren't deserving. Um, you know, I had my questions. I was okay with it, but I had my questions about their, you know, legit abilities. They were 2-9 and nine against the top 50. That was brought up over and over again. And yet, they handle their business. Uh, they win a couple of games in comeback fashion over Wright State and Iowa, and then they handle Iowa in, in another comeback 11-8 to in the regional final, and they get to the Supers without even having to play the winner-take-all game. And by the way, I've teased this a little bit. I mentioned it. TCU is one win away from you know winning the Fayetteville Regional. Arkansas would have to beat the Horn Frogs twice, and by the way, TCU beat them 20-5 to yesterday. Uh, but if TCU gets that done, then Indiana State's going to host a Super Regional with the right to go to Omaha on the line in Terre Haute. I mean, that, that would be just quite a sight to see, right? And it's always cool for those types of programs. We've, of course, seen the Cajuns. We've seen them enter an NCAA tournament as, you know, somewhat of favorites at times as the number one overall seed or close to it. So um, certainly something that the Cajuns have seen before. And it's, it's always, in my opinion, nice to see some of those programs that don't get the regular exposure, uh, you know, get a chance to, to show out on the biggest stage. And Indiana State will uh, potentially have a chance to do that. They'll be playing no matter what, but we just don't quite know where it's going to be yet. Um, and then lastly, just with that Baton Rouge Regional, I think the rain thing is just, man, it's fascinating. And, and, and you hope it doesn't 
play a role specifically. I think worst case for LSU as far as that rain is that Coleman gets going and starts but has to then stop and is kind of burned. You really you really don't want to see that if you're a Tigers fan because you do know, hey, you, you do have good availability now because you're able to save some guys, but there's certainly been some question marks about some of the guys that you're going to see today. So uh, that doesn't mean they're not going to pitch well today. doesn't mean that at all, but you'd hope that Coleman's able to, uh, to, to go the full length that he would go regardless of the weather. And then the winner of the Lexington Regional is uh, either going to be heading to Baton Rouge or then, of course, if LSU falls, then they'll be talking about a matchup with Oregon State. But I kind of like Kentucky's chances to go back and, and handle their business after falling early in that regional. They fought their way back, and they lost to Indiana 5-3 in that winner's bracket game. But then they beat them 16-6 to yesterday. Uh, now, the way that some of these are set up is interesting with the time slots, right? So this one's not going to be till 5 o'clock. So Indiana has had some time to kind of think about things, get rested up, go to bed last night, try and flush that loss and, and think of things in a fresh light. But um, Kentucky is certainly playing with the momentum. Since that loss to Indiana, they beat West Virginia 10-0 and then beat Indiana 16-6. So um, they've been playing a little bit angry, you can kind of say, right, since losing that first game. So you know, look, if LSU wins, as I've already mentioned a couple times, regardless, that Super Regional would be held in Baton Rouge. That's what you get as being a top eight national seed and the number five overall seed that LSU is is uh, is going to earn that right. Um, if you had, uh, you know, again, projecting ahead about Kentucky and Indiana, it's certainly Kentucky's a team you're familiar with and you played in conference play. Indiana's a team that you're not so familiar with. That's a pretty good team out of the Big Ten. Um you know, Kentucky played LSU so competitively, and they do some things that frustrate you with the way they get down bunts and can kind of run the bases and things like that. I would think if I were LSU, I'd probably rather Indiana win that game today and face the Hoosiers. Um, but you never do know. Indiana is swinging the bats really well at this point in the year. So um, all that to be said, it should be interesting. I think Kentucky wins because I think they have a little more pitching depth, and I think that comes into play today. But we will see. Plenty of regional action tonight all around the country and today as well. Um, and we'll see if the Tigers can get it done. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank Zach Nagy, Matt Miguez, and Kevin Foote for all coming on as guests. We will see you tomorrow when Kevin Foote is back.